Well, we're in a new year, are we not? Let us think about New Year's resolutions for a minute. I want to make a statement to you this morning. New Year's resolutions can be dangerous. Have you ever noticed? Bill called his parents to wish them a happy new year, and his dad answered the phone. Well, Dad, what's your New Year's resolution? His dad answered in this way, to make your mother as happy as I can all year. Now, guys, you should be thinking about that, okay? Well, then his mom got on the phone, and Bill asked his mom, well, what's your New Year's resolution uh, for this year? And she answered, to see that your dad keeps his New Year's resolution. <laughs> and perhaps this one sums it all up, this resolution. Dear God, my prayer is this New Year that it's for a fat bank account and a thin body. Please don't mix these up like you did last year. <laughs> wow. New Year's resolution. There's a lot out there, controversy, do it or don't do it. But here's what I want to say. This is what I want to say. Setting priorities is an important and vital exercise for the Christian. We don't have to call it a New Year's resolution. It doesn't have to be done maybe at New Year's. But setting priorities, that's very important for us. Maybe we get hung up on the time of the year. Instead, I think what we should do, and I hope you'll consider this as we go through this five-week study, is this, that we would live out godly priorities every day of the year and not just at the New Year's time. I've always been fascinated with Matthew 6, 33. In fact, all of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But right there in the middle chapter there is Matthew 6, 33, where Jesus says, he talks about a lot of great things, and then he says this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then there's an amazing statement, and all these things shall be added unto you. What things? Those great things that he had been talking about right before that. I think it's powerful to consider the, uh, the promise that comes with this command. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and let me show you how I will add all these things into your life. He's not talking about a fat bank account, by the way, okay, but some amazing things. Unfortunately, God's people often produce excuses. Hello. Got real quiet. Unfortunately, God's people often produce excuses to justify pursuing a life of personal comfort and pleasure. I don't know if you've noticed this. It's true. Yet there is no ultimate satisfaction apart from a life that is fully committed to this, to God's glory and to working or serving in his kingdom. Let me say that one more time. To God's glory and working or serving in his kingdom. Perhaps, as we think about priorities or resolutions or whatever you want to call it, we should think more like Jonathan Edwards. Do you remember him? The amazing colonial preacher and author directly tied to the first great awakening in the United States. Here's, here's his. Are you ready? You might want to jot it down. Resolution one, it's good that he started there, I will live for God. Resolution number two, if no one else does, I still will. 
That speaks to me. I don't know what your neighborhood's like. I may not know what your family's like. I know what our city's like. I know what our state's like. I know what our country's like. I know what our world's like. And I am going to live for God even if no one else will. It's time to quit making excuses and it's time to prioritize our lives as Christians. It's not a sermon for folks who are lost or are still searching for God. So you can just kind of relax. It's for Christians and what our uh, priorities and such are. Here's the big idea today. I want you to get this today. God's glory and work in his kingdom or service in his kingdom must be priority number one. Let's look at the first 11 verses in Haggai. Have you found it yet? <laughs> in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. The Lord of hosts says this, these people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now the Lord of hosts says this, think carefully about your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to become drunk. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages in a bag with a hole in it. The Lord of hosts says this, think carefully about your ways. Did you notice that's the second time that phrase has been mentioned? Boy, when something's repeated in Scripture, we ought to really pay close attention to it. The Lord of hosts says this, think carefully about your ways. Go up to the hills, bring down lumber, and build the house. Then I will be pleased in it and be, underline this word, glorified. Glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. This is God speaking. I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. Because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. So on your account, the skies have withheld the dew and the land its crops. I have summoned a drought on the fields and the hills, on the grain, new wine, olive oil, and whatever the ground yields, on the people and animals, and all, all, that your hands produce. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would speak into our hearts and minds today. Your words, not mine. Your scripture, your revelation to us. God, I pray that we would focus and, and the, the things of the world would be cleared and we would ask you to speak to us. And God, I thank you for how you do that and how you customize that for each individual. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So when you came in, hopefully you got a handout. It should say first things first in 2022. 
it, you know, we got plenty. At least one in your family should have got it. That's a take home. It's a homework assignment. If you didn't get it, you can get one on the way out. Uh, there will be guys at the doors. There's also the offering boxes out there that have a little slot with, uh, with these in there. Now, this is not reading material for the sermon. Although I've been around the block a few times, and I know some of you will read this during the sermon. Shame on you. But I do want you to look at it. It's got a lot of background. It's got some interesting things in there. You only can put so much in, uh, front and pack page. But I don't, want, I don't like to spend time in the sermon just talking about who wrote it or what the date was and everything. I'd rather get into the meat. So I give this to you. But I do want to show you something on the back, which I don't normally do. So look at the back real quick, and you will see towards the end, there's the idea of some New Year's resolutions, but more the idea of repentance in the new year. And you'll see some bold text there. I would like for you to pray over that this week and see if any of those speak to you, okay? But right now, I want you to do like I'm doing. Put it away. Thank you. I see some of you putting away. You rest of you sinners will just do what you will. All right. So let's jump into these first 11 verses if we can. Point number one is this. Complacency and excuses crush priorities. You should have that in your sermon notes this morning. Complacency and excuses crush priorities. I've heard it said that your plan is only so good until you get punched in the mouth. Have you heard that? I think that was Mike Tyson, of all people, who said that. But it can be true. We can, we can have all these priorities or all these resolutions or all these thoughts, but they can get crushed real quick by complacency and excuses. And in verse 1, we see a message. And what I have called this is it's a perfectly timed message. Isn't that how God always is? Isn't his message always right on time and at the correct time? His timing is not the same as ours. And once we understand that, we can see how he has a perfectly timed message. And there's a specific date given here. And so just a little context. You can read the paper later. But a little context is this. The Jewish people had been in exile, right? Babylon. And now we get to this point, the Jewish exiles had returned from Babylon. And in fact, when they returned, the, uh, Cyrus's decree, they laid a foundation for the temple. You can find that in Ezra, Ezra chapter 3. There's a lot of correlation there, okay? Yet for many years now, that foundation was laid, and then nothing had happened. All the work had been halted. And this date also shows us that it was the first day of the month. I don't think it's an accident that it was the first day of the month that this message comes. Because if you know about the Jewish culture back then, the first day of the month was important because it was the time for special offerings to the Lord. The special offering for the Lord comes on the first day of the month. How ironic that the message comes then and the people are not doing what they should be doing. And yet the temple lays in ruins. It was not just a, a perfectly timed message by the date when it was given, but it's a powerful message. Scripture is clear. It, it is the word of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. And you, you hear me say it all the time, but it's very important. Yahweh, the covenantal God of the people, it's powerful. And it was faithfully given by a guy named Haggai, the prophet Haggai. Haggai means fest, festal one. Think of festival, get, get kind of that idea, okay? In the Latin, it's Festus, maybe you've heard of that. So Haggai, Festus, in the Greek, it's Hillary. Maybe you think of hilarious, 
You kind of get the idea there. But it's faithfully given by a, a, a real person. God's word is given to him and he passes it on. And the target uh, audience is interesting in the message. I don't want you to miss this. The main national leaders of Judah who are, who are responsible, they are responsible for motivating the people to obey the Lord. And so it's, it's right there we see in verse 1. It's Zerubbabel. Well, who's he? He's the political leader, the governor of Judah. And then there's the religious leader. Joshua. Now in Ezra, you'll find it spelled slightly different. It's okay. Spelled different, still the same person. This is Joshua, the high priest. And as a result, this message is assumed, and rightly so as we go through it, it's not just the target audience of the political leader and the religious leader. It is for all of the people, all of God's people. And I think it is even for us today. So it's a perfectly timed message. And then verse 2, we get into the heart of the matter, what I call excuses and delay. It goes right. There's no introductions. There's nothing cordial about it. It's not like a salutation, you know, that Paul gives in his letters. It's like, drop the mic. Boom, here it is. Right to the heart of the matter. It is the excuses of the people that delay the rebuilding. The message is very clear. And I picture, you can picture excuses, can't you? I don't have time. I don't have the resources. If we delay, maybe conditions will get better. Man, I hate that one, don't you? That is, is that not 2022, if there ever was? I don't know what they were exactly. Well, I kind of do some. But I want you to remember something. Why is God so adamant about this? Because at that time and in that place, remember, it's the temple that was the place where God's presence dwelt among the people. Are you remembering that? Jesus has not come yet. The cross has not happened. The resurrection has not happened. The Holy Spirit has not come like has happened with us when we're sealed by His Spirit, when we're saved, when we're regenerated, when God saves us. So this is very important. It's where God's presence dwelt among His people. And you know about that. You can go back and look all through the Old Testament, all the different iterations of the temple, even the tabernacle, all those kind of things. And so it's very important. So the question is, would there ever be a right time to give priority to this? And I would say to you today, the same question can be asked of us today. Well, I got to thinking about excuses, and I thought, what, what types of excuses do we see in the Bible? I'm just going to give you a few of them that Jesus dealt with, okay? Um, in Matthew 8, 21, Jesus is calling people, and here's the excuse, Matthew 8, 21. Permit me first to go and bury my father. Do you remember that one? And as we study that, it's not like his dad had just died even. Dad is still alive, but let me go. Let me have time to bury my father. Well, what does that signify? Putting family ahead of the Lord. We can never put family ahead of God's glory. We can never put family ahead of working and serving in his kingdom. This guy, I think, was waiting around to collect the security of an inheritance. Luke 9, 61. Here's another excuse that someone gave to Jesus. But first, let me go say goodbye to those at home. You remember that one? 
You see, in, in, in setting priorities for God's glory and for working his kingdom, there's no place for emotional distractions. There's no place for double-minded type of commitments. He, he says, no, don't go. Go home and say goodbye. Follow me. Follow me. And then there's the parable of the great banquet. Do you remember that? Whew, is that a tough one? Luke 14, 18 through 20. This parable, listen to the excuses. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. And you remember the parable of the great banquet. This is Lamar paraphrase. Well, forget them all and go find some other people and bring them in. Those excuses pretty much cover most of our life, if you'll think about those. And so we see that excuses have always been around. They're not unique just to our day. They're not unique to Haggai's day, but they've always been around. And they all, excuses always crush the priorities of God's glory and work in his kingdom. And I want to ask you something this morning. Let me be direct like God's message is. What is your excuse? Please don't look at me with that spiritual face that people develop as they walk through the doors of the church. And look at me like, excuse? I ain't got no excuse. Look, we all do, okay? Maybe this is a good day for some of us, and there is no excuse. Maybe today is great, but there has been and there will be. Why? Because we are carnal beings. We are sinners saved by grace, and there's times when we make excuses. There's times when the Lord nudges us, and we do this. I can't go talk to that person. I can't go help that person. I can't give a defense of my faith. We could go on and on and on, okay? What's your excuse let me rephrase it this way. What prohibits your unconditional commitment to the Lord? We make commitments, but your unconditional commitment to the Lord. Well, let's move on. Number two, we find in verses three and four, comfort over obedience shows misplaced priority. That's a mouthful. I want you to think about that for a minute. There's great truth there. Comfort over obedience shows misplaced priority. So this is Haggai's second word from God, and it shows that God is not pleased with their misplaced priority, what they ought to have been doing and they weren't doing, okay? You see, they had inverted their priorities, and that happens to us as well. They were comfortable. The scripture tells us they lived in paneled houses. Did you catch that? That's very unique. It's not just like, hey, okay, HGTV, no, or some rental show. No, it means so much more than that. They lived in paneled houses. This means that they had wood, and this wood, this paneling, would cover over the rough stone walls and provide even a luxurious decorating touch to rooms. That's how it was back then. This word is an interesting word. In 1 Kings, it's also used, are you ready for this? To describe the expensive walls of Solomon's temple. That caught my attention when I began to study that. This is not, um, well, it's a shack and we threw up some paneling because most of us would say, 
paneling is not in, right? I'm sorry, if you have a bunch of paneling in your house, I forget I said that. But most people aren't going to go, let me just throw up some really thin, cheap paneling. No, we're not going to do that. But when, they, when he talks about paneled houses, it's amazing. Having this paneling implies that their houses were luxurious and they had put all they could into these houses. Remember, they've come back as exiles 18 years before and had done all this. And it even implies this, the house is finished. When it was paneled, that means the work was done with the stones, with everything else, and it is finished. And yet, God's indictment is clear. No one is working on his temple. Let us just picture, I like to be visual, picture for, for a minute, all these years after the foundation had been laid, picture the ruins of the temple, if you will, overgrown with, with weeds and briars and trees. What hypocrisy, what disobedience, these folks taking care of their, house, their home, but not God's house. This is serious. And, and, and I, I just want to share this. This little section right here is profound, I think, for us today. Because th there is a serious, hear me closely, there is a serious, sometimes fatal blow in American Christianity. And it's this. If you've never been around the world, if you've never been on a mission trip to another country, you have no idea how serious and for some people fatal this is if they're involved in American Christianity. Look at this place. I love this place. Do you? I got my little place I can walk back and forth and you got nice chairs. This is not church for the rest of the world. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying we must be careful that we don't let our wealth take us over. In fact, I think Scripture is clear. The wealth in American Christianity, in Hoffmantown Church, the wealth that we have should be used. Are you ready? This is what it's for. It's not for us to be comfortable. It's not for us to have nice clothes, although I'm glad you're wearing nice clothes today. I'm glad we're dressed, aren't you? Whew. Our wealth should be used to advance the gospel in every way. And, hear me, in every country. And, hear me, in every neighborhood. Both here and far. That's what it's for. I, Lynn and I love to give our tithes and offerings. And we love to give offerings. When I wrote the check for Lottie Moon Christmas offering, my heart was so full. It was the largest check I had ever written for an offering like that at one time. And I just said, thank you, Lord. You have blessed us. Yes, we work hard. Yes, we keep our noses clean. Yes, we've done this and that. We, both, we do that, but then you give us all this stuff, what do we do with it? Our wealth often gets in the way of our obedience to the Lord. And I believe the Lord has asked some people in here some pretty uh, outstanding requests. And we don't do them because we hang on to it. We hang on to our paneled home. Now you think about that for a minute. Have you ever heard the term re reverse tithing? 
I don't think I'll ever get there. But there are some people who have worked their whole life not to keep 90% and give 10% to God, but to give 90% away to God and keep 10%. I wish I could get to that point. But the idea is this, and I'm going to give it to you in a way of a question. Is your pursuit of comfort keeping you from giving God glory and serving in his kingdom? It's the question for them. God's saying, why? Why are you doing this? And I think it's a question for us today. Well, let's keep going. Verses 5 and 6, we get to point number 3. Consider carefully your priorities. Once again, this is the word from God. This time is a different title used. It's not Yahweh. This time, it's the word from the Lord of hosts. Kind of that military type term. Almighty God, we could say. And here it is. And he says in verse 5 for the first time, reflect. Think carefully. God urges them to reflect, to recall, to evaluate, to carefully think about their ways and consider changing them. Literally in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, it's literally this way. Set your hearts on your ways. Think about that for a minute. I think you can figure that out. Set your heart on your ways. Hmm. Specifically in context, it's their religious disobedience that has led to the hardships that we find in verse 6. And let's look at this. You're to think carefully or reflect about what? Verse 6, your hardships. What a picture of our world today. Look at verse 6 real quick. Would you just look at it? Could that not be written by one of us today? In the United States of America? Are people not planting but harvesting little? Are people not eating but never having enough to be satisfied? There's no satisfaction. Are people drinking and they never have enough to become drunk? Well, maybe that one's a little different. Uh, are people putting on clothes but they never have enough to get warm? The wage earner puts his wages in a bag and then there's a hole in it that never has enough money to get to the end of the month? Look, that could have been written right here today. And he says, reflect on what has happened. Was this calamity coincidental? Of course not. It was a direct result of their sin and lack of priority. Think priority as we go through this book. Priority. If, if just one of these things had happened, maybe it's considered unusual. Maybe it's just a one-off. But all these things put together point to God's judgment. And we find that. Number four, calling for change, consider repentance. And you say, Lamar, the word repentance is not in my text. No, it's not. But the idea of it is think carefully, change your ways, right? Isn't that what we do when we get saved? We're going our own way and our own sin, and we turn from that, and what, we repent, we do a 180, and we run to God. Forgive me. Save me. Have lordship over my life. So it's there. And this is the second part of the message. For those of you that already read the little sheet of paper I gave you, shame on you. But there are four messages or sermons in Haggai. So this is the second part of the first message. And he says in verse 7, again, the same thing. Think about this. Carefully reflect. Evaluate your flawed priorities. You're messed up. And then we look at God's solution to their problems. Isn't God good? 
that he gives solutions to our problems, to our sin problems, to our life problems and everything. And then in verse 8, we find what I think is the sin. I think verse 8 is the central theme of this prophetic message. You may find a different one, but for me, it's, it's right here because he says this. It's God's solution to the problems. There's three things he has to do. Number one, stop delaying action and go. Go where? Go to the mountain. Go to the hills. No excuse. Don't delay anymore. Priority, go. Second thing, part of his solution is this. Bring down lumber. Well, what's the big deal there? Well, lumber is not a big deal except they're supposed to be rebuilding the temple. So lumber does become a big deal. And this is much more than just go to the hills. Like when, when we were in Bloomfield and I wouldn't have to go very far away to the hills and would be able to cut down some amazing cedar for the wood stove. It's, it, yes, there's local timber here. It's called the sycamore tree. You might have heard of it. That's for scaffolding and a few things. But they would have to go to Lebanon to get the cedar and the wood that would happen to take care of the roof and every third layer of stones in the walls. You know that with the temple. Every third layer of stones in the wall would need to have this kind of wood. So it's a big deal. Bring down the lumber. And then number three, build it. Rebuild the temple. God's solution, the third part, is do what you should have been doing. What I call putting first things first. By doing these three things, God would be pleased. He would receive glory. Building the temple would show that the people desired to please God. And the temple would enable for God to be glorified as the people praised him. That's how it was done back in those days. You see, God is always pleased with people who offer a sacrifice. God is always pleased with those who fear and revere him. Do what he says. God is always pleased with those who do his will. So let me ask you today, what action is God calling you to do? What is his solution for your problem? Is it for you to repent for some perhaps? Is it for you to change something for some perhaps? And then we get to verse 9. And you know me, I've been asking the question all through this, why, 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 why is there so much trouble, God? And verse 9 makes it pretty clear. Why trouble? Because God ruined it. Do you see that? Isn't that interesting? God says, I ruined it. Temple lies in ruins. God ruins their stuff. Do you see the correlation? Because the temple's still in ruins. Everybody's busy working and has completed their homes. God's explanation was clear and would help the people realize their misplaced priorities. Verse 9. Remember Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And then we get to consequences in verses 10 and 11. Haggai spells out the consequences of what I call wrong priorities. Literally, if you read right here... The course of nature was changed. It was disrupted. Creator God was responsible for this punishment. God clearly makes it clear that he sent this drought. 
And he sent the drought everywhere to the fertile lowlands, as well as the orchards in the hillsides. And according to Scripture, it affected the production of all the crops. Did you catch that? The grains, the grapes, the olives, etc., etc., etc. This is a great reminder for me. I hope it is for you as well. Let us be reminded that we're held accountable for our priorities. If you're wondering, why is this happening? Check your priorities. What is priority number one? Do you have first things first? Because we as Christians are held accountable for our priorities. The wise path for us is always reflection, think carefully, and repentance instead of calamity and consequences. Wow. Well, let me close in this way. Thus ends Haggai's first sermon. Interesting to note, there is no stated call for action, yet the implications are obvious. I don't think he needed to state this call. God's solution had already been presented. You see, there could be no return to a proper relationship with the Lord. There could be no return to prosperity, and I don't mean like prosperity gospel. I mean like you plant and you harvest, right? You eat and you're satisfied, okay? There, there's no return to prosperity without genuine repentance and change of heart. And I would submit to you today that the same is true for us today. So what must we do? Number one, here's some application for you. What should we do? We should acknowledge our sinful choices. Every excuse, every choice we make that makes God's glory and the work in his kingdom not priority number one is a sinful thing that we've done. So be careful with that. Isn't it best to acknowledge? I know in my life, I get in trouble every now and then. Any, any, any of you guys ever get in trouble? You, and they're holy over here, and you guys are honest over here. All right. Yeah, we do. Do you know the best thing to do is to fess up when we mess up? Isn't that right? To acknowledge our sinful choices. I get stubborn sometimes, though, and I don't want to fess up when I mess up. That just makes things worse. Number one, acknowledge our sinful choices. Acknowledge those priorities that are out of whack. Number two, realize our difficulties are often a result of our failure, failure to do what God requires. I said often, not always. There's things we won't understand until we get to heaven. Why did this bad thing happen to this good person? Understand that. Of course, we could give the answer, sin, sin in the world. But still, you know, some of the, have you ever had some of those? And they scratch, you scratch your head and go, what? But most of the time, our difficulties are a result of failure to give priority to God and what he requires. Number three, determine in our hearts to correct our misplaced priorities immediately. This has been my prayer for months now for the family known as Hoffmantown, anyone who would come or listen online, anyone, is that we would take misplaced priorities, line them up correctly immediately. Today is, what's today? January the 16th. That was an easy one for you guys. That was a chance to jump in and say, and people all around you say, boy, that guy, that gal is smart. Yeah, 16th. Time 
keeps on going. Have you noticed? Life goes on. We're already 16 days into 2022. And yet many people have not taken misplaced priorities and lined them up with God's glory and work in his kingdom. And I would challenge you that God calls us to not ponder and think too long, but to obey immediately. That's next week. Let me ask you this. Will you join me in doing these things in 2022? Would you consider doing these things? Would you consider making God's glory and work in his kingdom priority number one? I pray that you would consider doing that. And I pr pray that, that the book of Haggai will be like the, you know, the snowball going down the hill. Just get, it will gain momentum in our life and just get bigger and bigger in our lives. I pray for that. And I want to remind some of you here this morning some of you online listening. You can't make God's glory priority number one. You can't serve effectively in his kingdom if you don't know him. Do you know that you know that you know that God has saved you from your sin, Savior? And that he is Lord of your life. Boss, controller, master. Romans 5 eight. But God demonstrated his own love towards us. And that while we were still sinners. Some of you know this what? Christ died for us. God's rescue plan is simple and clear. For God so loved the world that he gave us one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God is ready and able and waiting to save you today. If you will repent and run to Him. And whatever priority you're thinking about, Christian, this morning, that might be misplaced, God is right there waiting, just like He was here in these times. He's right there waiting. And the moment you submit that to him, he will rush in and begin to do his work. And when he does that work and things get lined up as they should be, then you can give glory to God for what he has done in your life. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word, all of it. New Testament, Old Testament, long books, short books, every word, we're grateful. We acknowledge that it is God-breathed, that you have breathed your, your life, your breath, into these words. And I thank you for how applicable your word is to my life, no matter where I'm reading, where I'm studying, how you apply it and customize it to me. And God, my prayer is today for that. God, I pray for those who need to tweak their priorities. They would obey and immediately do that. God, I pray for those who are seeking you today. They feel like they haven't found you. They don't know you. Maybe they've just heard about your rescue plan. I pray they would turn and run to you and see your glorious salvation. So God, I ask that you would work during this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
We're going to take a few moments. We're going to stand as we do. Would you stand, please? I'm going to be down front. Some friends are going to be down front. If you'd like to come and pray, if you'd like to come and talk, if you'd like to ask questions about this salvation, saving God, if you'd like to do that, great. If you'd like just prayer about a priority, great. We give this time to the Lord. Please, right where you are, open your heart and mind to God right now. Let him do what he does with the scripture this morning as we take a few moments. God has revealed to you this morning a little idol that you might be harboring in your life. Would you give it to him right now? Ask him to take it away. Christian, have you been on the sidelines for far too long? You're not engaged and service of the Lord's kingdom, what would he have you do? God, make us a people void of excuses. Make us a people that thirst for you, run to you, give glory to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.